Welcome back to the Wizards of Ecom podcast. This is episode number 234. My name is Carlos Alvarez and I'll be your host for the show. I am recording this episode on Thursday, September 22nd, uh, a couple days before heading out. I'll be heading out Monday, actually, on the way to San Diego for traffic and conversion. Um, and by the time this episode airs, I will have uh, just returned. So I'll probably be talking a lot about you know, big takeaways from traffic and conversion. I really hope that we had an opportunity to hang out. The episode that is airing um, this coming Monday is one that I also happen to have batch recorded today with one of my business partners from uh, a brand called Salsa Kings talking about uh, one of his other agencies that uh, focuses on, you know, Shopify site development as well as app development and some pretty cool stuff having to do with using mobile apps as a phenomenal way to do lead generation on Amazon as a private label seller, as well as being able to send push notifications, a lot of cool stuff. I I highly recommend you go back and listen to last week's episode. Uh, Today, today I'm writing solo. Um, This is going to be part one of a two-part series, and it's inspired based on positive feedback from the Wizards of Amazon, you know, Wizards of Ecom, who attended last Saturday's meetup. And the meetup topic I hosted, the meetup event I hosted, the topic was uh, 10 ways to differentiate uh, your private label product. We always talk about don't sell a me too product, you should differentiate, you know, riches in the niches, like all that stuff. But we don't spend uh, enough time, or I haven't spent enough time sharing you know, the different ways that I see that uh, a product can be, um, can be differentiated. Um, I've spoken in the past in previous episodes about, you know, the defensibility of a product. And a lot of the times creating a product that is defensible has a lot to do with the differentiation surrounding the product. With the weakest form of differentiation being, you know, changing the color. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, being, you know, a full-fledged, you, you know, published utility patent uh, with, you know, intellectual property protections surrounding it. So in this episode, I'm going to go over five, the first five, which are going to be the, um, the least defensible, in my opinion, or maybe the least creative, but still ones that I think a lot of people uh, skip over uh, when they're thinking about differentiating or maybe you just drew a blank. You heard someone say differentiate. You think that's a really good idea. You got sold on it, but you're looking at a product and you're like, well, maybe this is good enough. I don't know how to how to re-engineer this or how to think about differentiating this. So we'll go into some of that. Um, a lot of this stuff, if not all of it, are things that I've learned through trial and error. There's things that I've learned from consuming content over the years from, you know, going to networking events and meetups and brainstorming with other, you know, brilliant individuals and, and hearing their stories on how uh, they approach this product, this successful product they've had. Um, again, my opinion is that if you're not differentiating the, the approach of just coming into a private label product and selling a Me Too product, I think that has a maximum of 18 months left on it before you just can't be profitable doing that on Amazon, except for very, very, it, it'll be the, it'll be, um, 
it will not be the norm. How about that? Um, the, the differentiation of products uh, falls into three major categories. Uh, one of them is the origin, which I'm not going to spend much time on, uh, although we'll do a cool little exercise that you can follow along with me um, today. Um, there's the aesthetics, and then there's the functionality, um, or, or function, if you will, of a product. So by function, you're basically fixing problems of the product. Uh, an example I like to give is if you're looking at, like, say, a whiskey glass, and you saw a review on the product detail page that said something like, um, I love this whiskey glass. I wish they made it for someone who's petite or smaller or for, you know, a woman. This is, this is a real, you know, life uh, example here that I've seen. And it was, it was this, it was the hand, a picture in the review, this woman's, it looks like a woman's hand holding this pro this, this whiskey glass and the whiskey glass was massive. It was like Viking like, <laughs> um, and I think that was the appeal of the whiskey glass, but they came in a set of two and the review went on like, Hey, what do you think? Women don't drink whiskey. Um, <clears throat> I have what I consider to be a larger hand for a woman. And still my hand can barely grasp this. <clears throat> and sure enough, maybe with some help of the angle of the photo, it really shows that, you know, this hand is not really getting a, a full grip on this massive whiskey glass. So somebody, I won't say the person's names, I know them, but they, they went ahead and got this and they decided to create, you know, go for ergonomic grip. So they decided to change the functionality of this thing. And it had indentations on the side, similar to if you're familiar with the Govino brand. Um, and they, they, they changed the function of this. And that's, that's a pretty difficult one to change the function of. It's a cup. Uh, finally, you have the aesthetics. And this is going to be when we're talking about the color. This could be the packaging. This could be re-engineering the shape. Um, you're probably going to need a mold when, when you're dealing with the aesthetics. Can be branding, um, but branding and a slogan, if not done right, is weak. So I suggest being careful. This could also deal with bundling. Um, and by bundling, I do not mean... Um, we'll, get it, we'll get into bundling a little bit more uh, in a second today. But uh, And then origin is the one that I said we're not going to spend a lot of time on. But say with origin, like, and the, the way I'm saying that you can differentiate with origin is what is the first thing that comes to mind when I say made in Germany? If you're like other people that attended the meetup, you were saying high quality, um, precision engineering. Um, what comes to mind, what kind of products come to mind when I say France, made in France? Uh, what comes to mind, made in the USA, made in Italy, made in China. So there's these preconceived notions that everything that comes out of a respective country has this uh, certain level of quality or prestige or lack thereof to the product. And this can be a form of differentiation. It can be powerful too. Um, just be careful that you're, you're, you're actually making the product in these respective countries and not um, not just saying you are. I know from experience, I don't know if I've shared this on the show before, but we didn't think it was that big of an ideal idea to put, uh, that big of a deal, I'm sorry, to put um, engineered in Germany on this coffee product we had, and it was made in China. 
But um, long story. Anyhow, done, didn't end well. Don't do it. Just make sure your product is, if it's going to be differentiated that way, that it is made in that respective country. If it is a product that's everyone knows is always made in that country, then it's less of a differentiator. You know what I mean? So like if you have, um, I don't know, when I think of Italy, I'm imagining like fine leather products, let's say. So bringing a leather product and saying made in Italy, it still has an appeal, but it's kind of like, yeah, all premium leather products come from Italy. Um, German German leather belts, I don't know if you will. To me, that would be like, wow, you're bringing leather and you know precision engineering together and it, and it creates this different differentiator. I hope that made sense. All right. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to cover the first five of these 10 uh, ways to differentiate. I'll try to do this quick so this episode stays digestible. We're almost 10 minutes in and I've not even gotten to the first five. So let's see how this goes. So first one's color. Like I mentioned, it is a, um, it's the weakest of the 10 ways to differentiate, but it still exists. Uh, the reason why I think it's the weakest way to differentiate is it's the easiest one for your competitor or, you know, if you're dealing with a Chinese factory, if you're dealing with China and you're dealing with Chinese factories, it's the easiest one for a factory to change. And, and, and in most cases, it's just a matter of putting in some different color pellets, you know, colored pellets if it's plastic injection molding. Um, and, and yeah, so you're, you're changing the color of something. Like say you have an alarm clock, because I have one in front of me that I use for my Pomodoro stuff, and you have this like Pomodoro clock, and mine is red and gray, and you decide to do blue and gray. And let's say blue didn't exist. I think that's a good idea. But I bet you all of your competitors in the Pomodoro clocks that had red Pomodoro clocks, especially if you were inspired by their color to start yours, they're going to see this and be like, wow, such and such brand is doing amazing now with this, you know, blue Pomodoro clock. Let's add blue to our our list of variations. So um, uh, the only situation I've seen where color was used pretty amazing and I've not seen it copied, which is really strange, is Thrasio put out a case study about um, Angry Orange. And it was this carpet deodorizer or pet something deodorizer. I don't know. But they, they acquired this brand. And the brand and all of its competitors really had these very muted... Um, ba- I'm going to call it like baby pastel, if that's a thing. But like these soft, quiet colors um, that somebody apparently thought that was really good to have and maybe related well to smelling good. You know what? That might be it because now that I think of it, the majority of like Febreze cans that I see of Febreze and that's like an odorizer or something to make things smell good, they have these same like family of colors. But anyhow, everything in this category was that. And the... You know, Thrasio or somebody, the geniuses at Thrasio decided to like change the name of this thing. And they changed it to, um, I think they changed the name of the brand to like Angry Orange. And the, the color of the actual product that had this like carpet deodorizer was this, a color that, I don't know if they created a new color, but they, it's Angry Orange. It, it was like literally, if you, Whatever you visualize in your head when you think of angry orange, that is the color of what this thing was. So what I thought was genius about that is now when you searched for this product or like carpet deodorizer, if you will, what came up was, you know, a page of a whole bunch of bottles that are shaped the same with this muted baby pastel that I'm calling it. 
And then this one thing that was this angry orange color that felt like it just jumped off the page and like punched you in the mouth or said, hey, look at me. And, and it really helped. So again, something fairly easy for other people to copy. Um, uh, it's, it's the bottle at the end of the day, but um, you're not changing the shape of it. So, but still, color is one. Um, quantity. So quantity here is where we're getting into, uh, again, we're, we're, we're still in the aesthetics uh, portion of things. Uh, quantity, you know, qu- quantity is a weak one because I think what most people would do is they would go to a two-pack, let's say. You're selling a single unit. You notice you look in your reports and you see you get, you get some two-pack sales, some three-pack sales, or people ordering multiple. You know, you see that happening. So you decide to just create, you get two of these products and you bundle them together. Like you saran wrap them together to give you a visual. I feel like that's a weak bundle and I don't even feel like it differentiates. Like you're just selling a two pack. That's like getting two boxes of cereal and just sticking them side by side and say you're getting double the ounces. I don't know. For me, quantity can start coming in when you when you customize the packaging to fit to accommodate that new quantity. So if you're selling a whiskey glass and you sell a single whiskey glass, getting two single whiskey glass kits and saran wrapping them together does not hold the differentiation weight to me that creating a separate packaging that accommodates two would. Um, I would go so far as that two that you got maybe have like a his and her wooden stand sitting in the back in the bottom of the packaging that otherwise would not have fit in the single unit packaging. So um, that's quantity. Quantity is one way you can differentiate. Um, number three is length. So the length of a product uh, can be differentiated. Depending on the product, this might be a weak one as well. There was a really popular one with, with, um, with length back in the day that was uh, bamboo sticks. So I think it was Jungle Sticks. This was like Jungle Scout was first coming on the map. And they, nothing, this is not a bash on Jungle Scout. Um, but I remember being super frustrated when this came out, like not, not hating on the success of their jungle sticks, like obviously like more power to you, but you know, somebody that puts out again, this is not a bash on jungle scout, but like anybody that puts out a private label product and says, Hey, look, we're using this tool. Um, or, or anyone that tries to like tout their, their product selection prowess and says, look, look, look at me. I just picked this product. I can launch anything but relies on their community of like 100,000 people that the majority are buying. And you go back and look in the product and it, you know, it sees like, I saw them on YouTube, couldn't believe they did this, super supportive of blank. I bought the product, five stars. So like anytime you can get this massive attention from an unrelated community, to me that kind of gives an asterisk to everything. Not an asterisk to Jungle Scout, the tool, um, I love it. I think it's amazing. I think it's one of the better, uh, more accurate, if you will, um, product sourcing tools that are out there, uh, in my opinion. So definitely not. But length, bamboo sticks hit really home for me too. Recently, I was going on a trip with my, uh, so you have a visual of what I'm talking about here. I go on this trip to uh, North Carolina and you know my four-and-a-half-year-old, my four-year-old son, uh, two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, we're in the mountains of North Carolina. There's a fire pit. We're at some like really swanky Airbnb in the mountains. 
And I'm like, this is where I'm going to go fatherly mode. And I'm going to teach my kids how to like roast marshmallows. So I go to the local store, not easy by the way, but found a local store, got the marshmallows, the s'mores, the graham crackers. And I bought these wooden marshmallow sticks. And then I started a fire. Well, I have no experience starting fire. So I threw a whole bunch of wood on there, massive fire, just like raging. Right. And I'm like, okay, let's, um, let's, let's start doing marshmallows. As soon as I got close, these sticks were only like six inches long. So I couldn't get my hand in the marshmallow anywhere near the fire with like burning all the hair off my hand. My kid is hating the experience. He'll probably never, you know, roast marshmallows again. And end of the day, just horrible experience. So what jungle sticks did is they extended the length of these marshmallow sticks. It seems super obvious. Now they were these wooden sticks that could be cut to size So for me, the differentiation wasn't that powerful. It was super easy at that point to say, you know, tell your factory that makes these wooden sticks, make them longer. And it's very easy to do that. There's no mold required. But like, imagine if it was a stainless steel um, stick, like making it longer to where you make this 24 inch, you'd be two feet away from a fire. So even if you don't know how to control a fire, like you're 24 inches, two feet away from this fire, roasting the marshmallow sticks it would have been a much better experience it's something you could could communicate with the copy video images um i would have been that avatar right so then taking it a step further now you have this 24 inch thing it's oversized well how about make it telescoping how about putting a, a hand guard and then in the meetup when we were just openly brainstorming this and everyone was getting on board i was like how about turn this into like how about go super niche and decide you're going to tap into like the medieval jousting community if you've ever been to that restaurant medieval times where the houses the, you know the, the horses are jousting in the middle but like why not turn this into like this collapsible jousting stick that uh, stainless steel that you could put you know marshmallows on the end but also has a hand guard uh, whatever it's called on a on a jousting stick uh, protecting your hand. So you hit this super, super, super niche group of people that may hopefully also want to roast marshmallows. To me, that would be differentiating with length at a high level and not and, and much more defensible. All right, so number four is going to be shape. Um, shape is another one I think that people get wrong or they write off as maybe not that defensible um, or unique. So um, I, I disagree. It depends on how you do it. So if you're... Um, if you're looking at shape and you want to use shape to differentiate, um, I suggest you, you, you look at things and, and, and what I go through my head is, I don't know why I do this. I say star pair handle. Like I've always done this exercise in my head. And what it is, is if I'm looking at it, what would this look like if it's a star? What would it look like if it was a pear or a fruit? And then if, if this was going to be an animal that would sell to the broadest amount of people, what would it be? So if I'm looking at somebody's water bottle, a thermos, and I'm looking at this and I tell myself, you know, star, pear, or you could say fruit, you know, star, fruit, animal. I tell myself, if this thing was shaped as a star, would this thing look good? And, and shockingly, it would. If you had this star and it was shaped like a freaking star and it was your water bottle and you're like, you're number one, you're the star, stars of Hollywood, like this would probably sell better than some plain shaped thing. You could sell it for more and it would be a way to differentiate. What if it was a fruit? Like what fruit could you turn a water bottle into that looks like it would like sell more? 
or like be very eye catchy. You'd ask yourself, I can't think of, of one um, with an animal. I mean, sorry, with a, with a fruit, but um, I don't know, I guess you could do an apple. So like if a teacher wanted to have a water bottle on their desk and that whole, you know, bring your teacher an apple thing. I don't know if that's still a thing, but um, ha- maybe she could have her water bottle shaped like an apple so that it fit um, an animal. Uh, that's an easy one. Like, I want to get my son to drink more water. Give him a water bottle that has dinosaurs on it. Now, if I could get him a water bottle that was shaped like a dinosaur, like that's another level. So you can, you can play with the shape of the actual product. And if you're dealing with a product that maybe you can't change, like say a spatula, um, think of, uh, or glasses, right? Like I'm looking at my, my blue blockers right here. Um, think about how you can change the arms of the glasses. How could you change the shape of these? Like, you need it to do a certain thing and kind of hook behind your ear with the glasses, but what if the rest of the arm was shaped like um, elephants? I don't know, like whatever somebody's into. Um, likewise, if you're looking at a spatula, you could totally change the shape of the handle. What if you made like all the handles of all your different cooking utensils be shaped like a Viking hammer? Um people that were into that would really want to get it. So, and it would be unique. So, so that would be a way to, to really use shape. Uh, the final one that I'm going to get in today, um, is specific user pain points. So there's a really, really good, um, example of this that was done really well by a friend of mine named Mike Jackness from Ecom crew. I would say this, I would say Mike has a, the most similar approach to me when it comes to uh, private label, uh, the approach to private label. And I've, I've mentioned his show and his podcast. Uh, I've recommended it in the past. We talked about uh, the knitting.com, you know, process they're on, but with coloring books and a brand that he sold called color it, um, it was, it was pretty powerful how he approached it. So he didn't, he didn't just say like, I'm going to sell coloring books. Okay. Let me do print on demand coloring books and just get someone to crank out designs. Cause that would be, that would be a red ocean. It'd be a bloodbath. You'd die there. But actually went in and just looked at the pain points surrounding people that are using coloring books. So he realized, you know, people that were lefties, you know, the, you know, using the coloring books didn't make sense that people that were drawing on a, in their coloring book, they didn't want their color to bleed through or leave all these like nasty indentations on the back of the page where the next thing you colored would be. So he made sure that, you know, none of the, the, the actual coloring designs would be front and back. They'd all have their own pages and they'd be a quality page. And then finally, there was the borders. Like you couldn't really color everything because the border of what you were coloring went into kind of the spine of the book. So he solves all this and he turns it into this, you know, spiral coloring book that you open top to bottom, accommodates the lefties, quality pages, no bleeding, solves all of it. So like this is a way of differentiating on a very difficult product based on knowing what the pain points are from the person that's using your product. Another category right now that I think is ripe for um, people to get all over right now. Uh, on the Amazon space, I see several opportunities for eight-figure businesses in this space right now. And, and that has to do with functional clothing. So creating chic, sexy, functional clothing, not hospital gown-looking stuff for the example I'm going to give. But, you know, imagine somebody has a port and they're going through chemo or something. It doesn't mean they want to walk around in, like, these 
drab colors. They still want to feel good about themselves. But, you know, imagine like the, the embarrassment you got to go through, like every time you got to take your top off or you got to remove an article of clothing. Think about that. If there's something you need to do to get treatment or therapy on regularly and it requires you to remove a piece of your clothing, how could you solve that without having to do that? So in this case, imagine a pocket that looks like a pocket, but also doubles as a, you would never know it, but you could kind of open this pocket without taking your shirt off and expose a port, let's say. So um, functional clothing would be something, you know, you're, you're understanding the pain point of the users. So you're differentiating a common everyday product to accommodate for something like, so think of things, anyone that's handicapped that deals with certain issues, what are based on their pain points, what are things that you could do differently to a product that would accommodate? Um, anytime you're dealing with anything that has to do with index cards or learning, think about how difficult, how could you make it easier for a teacher to teach this to a group of people? So maybe that's putting the answers to something on one side of the index card or the other. Um, so, so yeah, Ramon, a friend of mine, which I'm obviously not going to share what the product is, he solved this in a really cool, simple way. So it doesn't have to be this super expensive, complicated way. He, he solved something where he realized, like, what is the thing that everyone's talking about and everyone wants to know about and that surrounds, you know, board games in the family? Like, how could somebody come up with something to solve for this? And he did. I think it was genius. Um, if he's listening, Ramon, if you're listening to this, last compliment you get for the year. Uh, but look, those are the five to recap color, quantity, length, shape, and specific user pain points. Um, in my next episode, which will be coming out next Monday, I'm going to go over the next five and they are a lot more in depth. Um, these are some of the easier ones. These are like something you could totally treat this as an exercise, go to your product and say, Hey, if I was to change the color of this, or if I was to add a color, like what would it be? And how defensible would it make it? Um, and do the same thing for quantity, length, shape, and specific user pain points. Uh, huge, huge thank you for sticking with me through this. I try to get everything into a single episode, but I'm, I'm really trying to make these episodes a lot more digestible for you, a lot more um, actionable. And I hope I achieve that with this one. The second part will be coming next Monday. Uh, I look forward to have, I, I'm excited if we got to hang out in traffic and conversion last week. Much love, keep crushing in your business, and we'll talk.